Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Last time there were confrontations, right? That was really the whole scene last time. Confrontations with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then another group that you were introduced to. You remember who they were? Uh, not the Sadducees, the Herodians. Yeah, good job. Yeah, you remember. And the Herodians were Jews that were supporters of Herod. And so they, of course, thought you should pay the taxes. The Pharisees thought you shouldn't. And the question came, should we pay taxes or not? They were trying to trap Jesus, you remember. Then eventually the question came of, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And remember what those were? Jesus gave the greatest commandment. They didn't even ask for the second, but he volunteered that. And it was, love the Lord your God with your heart, heart, soul, and strength, right? And then the second commandment, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you remember I gave you an assignment uh, to learn your neighbor's names. Uh, last week, did anybody do that? Okay, your assignment for next week is learn at least one of your neighbor's names that you don't know. I mean, maybe you already know them all, and that's great. Then go to the next block over and learn somebody's name. That's an that's easy, easy assignment to just keep transposing, you know. So just try it, you know, just try it, and uh, we'll see what we can do. What a tall command, though, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And, and we talked about how if we want to please God, we, you know, we know that Jesus out of his own mouth said those are the two great things to do. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this time, he turns to the multitudes after he shut them down. You remember, he silenced them, question about David and the Messiah and whose son is he and so on. He shuts them down, and then he turns to the multitudes, which included his disciples, but it was believers, non-believers, Jews, a whole huge crowd of people in Jerusalem for the Passover. And he turns to them, and he issues a warning. Now, the warning is about the danger of following the religious establishment of that day. He warns them about the Pharisees. And so, <clears throat> have you noticed through your study of the Bible, I mean, praise, praise God, we get to study the Bible here in, in depth. We get to go through and really get a look at what God's saying to us. Have you noticed that the people that, the, that Jesus has the, the hardest, toughest, harshest words for are the religious hypocrites. It's not the drunk, the adulterer, the prostitute, the liar, the tax collector, the human that continuously falls short. Those aren't people that Jesus speaks harshly to at all. He speaks to them with grace and kindness, with love, to try to edify and to try to build them and to try to communicate his grace and love to them. But the religious hypocrites, the people that have an appearance, have the language, have the emblems of somebody that's religious, but on the inside, they're willfully corrupt. Those people, he says, the hardest things to, um, but nobody else, you know. It's pretty interesting to think about. <clears throat> We're going to see this warning about the Pharisees today. Pick it up in verse 1, please. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. 
For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best seats, or I'm sorry, the best places at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Father in heaven, as we turn to you today, to your word, Lord, we just want to submit ourselves before you, Lord. We want to surrender our will to you, our hearts to you. We want to bow before you. And we ask, Lord, humbly, would you make your book speak to us? Would you make it live to us? We ask to see more about Jesus, more about who we are in him. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Very simple outline today. It's a three-parter. And it's uh, laid out here before you. Jesus warns about the Pharisees because they lay heavy burdens on others. They do their works to be seen by men, and they are not on the path of greatness. We're going to see those three things in the passage. Now, I want to stop you before we go further and say, it's tempting when we look at the Pharisees to sit and go, ha, Pharisees, right? (laughs) Not me. But What I find is when I read about the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, any of these different people, I find that there are parts of myself that I see in them, you know? And so when I read a passage like this, I I make sure that I don't just say, that's them, that's not me. I say, let's let this scan me. I want this to scan me. And um, so I just want to encourage you to do that as well when we go through the passage. So number one, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees because they lay heavy burdens on others. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. So we explained that after silencing the, the Pharisees last time, uh, he then turned to the multitudes, the disciples. This is a warning about the type of legalistic externalism that they were teaching. They were teaching in these days, these Pharisees were teaching that being right with God was just all about what you do on the outside. It was just all externals. That's what their main message was, is if you want to please God, if you want to earn your way into heaven, if you want to earn favor from God, it matters what you do on the outside, and that's all that matters. Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, look, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but I say to you that anybody that looks at somebody with anger without a cause, hates his brother without a cause, you've committed murder in your heart. You've heard it said of those of old, do not lust, but I tell you that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in the heart. Jesus got to the point then that what he's looking at is what's going on in the heart, the inner man, the inner woman. And by the way, Jesus is looking at the inner man and the inner woman here right now in all of us. This is what God's looking at is what is going on inside of you. Your exterior is telling one story, but your interior is also telling a story. And Jesus is looking at that. Now, Jesus has already said that these Pharisees were like those that Isaiah prophesied about. Do you remember what he said? These people draw near to me with their 
lips, but their heart is far from me. Remember when he talked about him like that? Isaiah prophesied about him. I, I think 50, chapter 57, but you read it. And he says in verse 2, these are the scribes and the Pharisees. They sit in Moses' seat. So they were known as the respected teachers of the day, the interpreters of the Mosaic law. They were responsible and charged with teaching the people how to apply the Bible into their life. And people looked to them as authorities. And Jesus says in verse 3, he's not really calling their teaching into question. Look what he says there. He says, whatever they tell you to observe, observe that. So in other words, the Bible teaching they're giving out, the scriptures are great. You should do what the scripture says. But he says, don't do according to their works, though, because they say and they do not do. I remember my dad used to tell me that, do as I say and not as I do. And I used to think, you, what? You know, and I was a kid and I knew that that was stupid, you know? I mean, but that's kind of what they, you know, what Jesus is saying here in a sense is like, they teach good stuff. Like that's, it's fine. They're teaching the Bible, but this other stuff that they do, you got to watch out for that. Now, so they don't practice what they preach, but there's also another element of these Pharisees that they needed to watch out for, okay? The Pharisees were notorious for adding applications and regulations and rules on top of the laws of Moses, right? So they looked at it as like, okay, the Bible says, you know, don't do any work on the Sabbath. Don't bear a burden on the Sabbath. And so they'd get together and they'd say, well, what does it mean actually to bear a burden on the Sabbath? And then they would all get together and they would decide what it meant to bear a burden on the Sabbath. And they came up with literally thousands of laws. And they said, these are just as binding as the law of, you know, the Torah, the law of Moses, the Old Testament. So a lot of danger in that we're going to talk about at the end of the message. We're going to wrap around and kind of focus on this point at the end of the message. They loaded so many laws and regulations upon people that it became like a crushing burden. Right? That's what Jesus says. Look at verse 4. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. The average person couldn't keep these things. You know, when the Apostle Paul said, according to you know, the laws of Judaism, I was blameless, he was saying a huge thing. He was saying he at least thought with an external sort of righteousness that he kept all these traditions of the rabbis, all these huge lists huge crushing to the average person. Do you remember when Jesus, uh, you know, said to people, you know, come to me, you heavily burdened, you know, this is what he's referring to. Imagine that in this day, you want to get right with God. You want to be a worshiper of Yahweh. You want to follow God. Put this in today's context. You want to get right with God. You know, you need God in your life. And so you open up your yellow pages. People don't do that anymore. You, you get out your phone and you ask, where's the church near me? And it tells you, and you show up to the church and you think, oh, this is great. I'm going to get right with God. I know he's in churches, right? And you go in there and they come up to you and tell you, great, here's this huge code of rules that you need to follow to be right with God. Like you need to observe all these things, right? wow, I didn't realize that, you know, this is impossible, you know, and you get crushed by this burden. You know, they're telling you everything from how you should dress, you know, what you should do with your free time, who you should marry, what kind of car you should drive and there, you know, whatever it might be. But, but imagine that, right? Because remember what Jesus said last time? He said, hey, uh, love God, love people, truly do those things. Well, imagine that though. 
And some of you say, I don't have to imagine too much because this is my experience with church growing up is, is it wasn't just the Bible. It was the Bible plus the denomination. It was the Bible plus man telling me I had to do all these things. And I had this crushing burden on me that I could never live up to and say, I don't have to imagine this. This is, was my reality. It goes on to say there after verse four says, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They lay these burdens on people, these trips, but then they don't really give them any guidance of how to keep the law of Moses. You know, you're telling me the Ten Commandments and then you're adding a thousand more and you're not telling me what to even do to like live this way. Like I don't, I don't get it. All you're doing is just crushing me with this rule system, this rule-based legalistic externalism. You're crushing me with it. They taught the law of Moses in a mechanical way. So Jesus starts out by warning the multitudes because the Pharisees lay heavy burdens on others. And then secondly, they do their works to be recognized by others. Look at five, look at verse five. They want to be seen by men. <clears throat> but all their works they do to be seen by men. Now, as these religious professionals collected their paycheck for law-keeping and law-teaching, heaping heavy burdens on people, the praise and the adoration of man was their motive. They wanted to appear to be important, religious, spiritual. And he says uh, some interesting things. We're going to look at some pictures here in a second, but just look at that phrase in verse 5 for a second and think about it for a second. Something is terribly wrong with religion, with Christianity, when religion is done as something to impress others rather than being motivated by the love of God. And this happens. There are people that live like this today. It's like, you know, I better be in church because, you know, that's what good people do. They go to church. And so I got to make sure my kids are in church or the PTA is going to like kick me off the board or I, who knows what they'll say about me in this small town if I don't have my family in church. And, and if you're more concerned about that, I mean, that, that's the problem. There's something terribly wrong with Christianity when it's done to impress others more than it is done out of a motive of love for God. I remember when I first started serving at my home church in California, uh, Calvary Chapel, Mid-Valley. And I, first when I went there, I, I was trying to serve, but I was like, I just want to scrub toilets and clean, clean the parking lot. And they said, well, we heard you play music. And I was like, oh man, I don't want to do that. You know, um, I need a new identity. <laughs> and they said, well, just, you just come play music. And so I did. And, and I, I decided they had me play drums one week and I, and I played the drums and uh, it was just, you know, how, you know how you can tell guitar players playing the drums? Because the guy's like doing stuff. It's just like, play the beat, you know, just play the drum beat. You don't have to do all these things, you know. I'm like, you know, and all this stuff. And it was cool, you know, I mean, whatever. But people came up afterwards, dude, and they're like, oh, man, that was so good. And one person was even like, will you teach my son lessons? And, and I was a brand new Christian, you know, and I didn't know how to handle this stuff. Because... I was like, should I, should I do that thing? These other people, you know, some people do something really weird in that situation. They go, oh, it's just the Lord, brother. <laughs> it's not me. You know, it's, that's corny and weird. Um, but I asked my pastor how to deal with it. And he goes, you know what? Compliments are like perfume. Smell them, but don't drink it. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's good. Don't do things to be seen by people, right? And if you, you know, that's, that's a good lesson. That's what Jesus is teaching. 
a few years ago, um, we did a prayer gathering in East Park here, and somebody pulled me aside to let me know that we shouldn't be doing that because people were going to see it. And the person was, you know, I'm not coming to that because it's sinful. And I was like, huh, okay, well, I'm just telling you this to kind of give you some balance and perspective on how to, you know, how to live. It's like, well, the operative word there is in verse five, it says, to be seen. Doesn't mean don't have a public prayer thing. It doesn't mean don't play music in front of people or speak in front of people or or do things in front of people. It means the heart motive, to be seen. They did it to be seen. That is their motive for doing it. Fact is, if you're serving the Lord, you're going to get seen in a lot of positions. And then so when somebody compliments you, my best advice to you uh, is just say thank you. And then that's it. You know, like don't do something weird like, oh, the the Lord just, oh my gosh, he just works through me. I don't know. (laughs) He just works through me. Don't do that. Just be normal about it. That's what these guys did. And look what they did next. Going on says that they made their phylacteries broad. And you say, what is a phylactery? Well, let me show you here. I brought a picture. A phylactery, I used to work um, at a mortgage company in Beverly Hills. And um, my boss was a Persian Jew. And every Friday I would come in and he was in this, I, used, I thought it was like one of those Mexican blankets. I didn't know what it was. And I'd come in the office and, you know, like it'd be a really bright window, you know, and I'd come in the office and it'd be all dark but he'd be standing in front of this bright window. So all I would see is like his silhouette. You know what I mean? And he'd have this hat on and this prayer shawl and he'd be standing in front of the window with this thing around his arm and turn around with this thing on his head. And I was like, what the heck are you getting me into? I thought I was just doing mortgages, you know? Like, this is weird, you know? And, uh, but, it, you know, he taught me about it is the Jewish culture. Um, this is a phylactery, this thing on his head right here and on the arm. There's this leather band, goes around the fingers, very specific way. You know, you teach your kids how to do this, uh, lace it up all this way. And then there's a phylactery right there. And these are boxes, some are on the forehead and some are on the arm. And um, what they are is they are boxes that contain scriptures, okay? And this comes from a few different Bible verses, Exodus, Deuteronomy. Um, Bible students, look it up. Where did the phylacteries come from? And what God essentially did was he told his people, he, he used picture languages. And he says, keep the law of God in front of you, like on your mind all the time. And so they took it very literally and they said, okay, we're going to put it in a box and put it on our mind in front of us. And that's what happened. We're we're phylacteries. And so really religious Jews um, wear phylacteries at certain prayer times, you know, um, Fridays uh, and, you know, different Jewish holidays and things like that. And when you're seeking the Lord, you'd wear this thing. And so what the Pharisees did, look at what it says there. It says they made their phylacteries broad. So they figured if this thing makes you look spiritual, well, I'm going to make a bigger one. And so they made their phylacteries broad rather than just having a phylactery. I'm, if these things make you spiritual, give me the biggest phylactery I can get my, whole, you know, get my hands on. It was that sort of thing. And it says, um, you know, there's a couple other things that Jews do this with. And this is just kind of an aside. It's, it's interesting. There's another thing called a mezuzah. Does anybody know what that is? A mezuzah? Okay, it's a little box that you put on the of your door frame. And so every time you walk through your door frame, it's this little box. Some of them are very ornate and they're kind of like a tube that has a scroll in it. And then you'll walk through the door and then, you know, they'll touch it, you know, when they go through the door and it reminds them of scripture. These things are great in themselves. They're these, this is kind of cool. You know what I mean? Not all ritual is bad. It's when it becomes heartless and mindless and you start doing it to be observed by other people, that's when it becomes bad, right? 
But they take, you know, they taken it and made it into something wrong. And then there's another thing, and I don't know how to pronounce this one, but essentially they're tassels or fringes on their prayer shawls. And I have a picture of this as well. You can't really see it too well because of the contrast here, but there are these tassels hanging down. So a Jew has a prayer shawl. Um, we used to have a blessed old dear saint that used to come here until she couldn't walk up the stairs anymore. And sometimes to prayer meetings, she'd bring her prayer shawl, even though she wasn't a Jew. And it was just cool, you know, uh, she liked it. And uh, anyhow, but you'd put tassels on there. And that comes from the book of Numbers. Um, this is something that God talks about if you're interested. Um, it's in Numbers 15, uh, verse 37 through 38. And so it was like the longer the tassel, the more spiritual you were. So that was, that was in their mind. We're supposed to have tassels. We're super spiritual. We have long tassels. We're supposed to, you know, we do the phylactery. We'll make a broad phylactery. And that's the idea. It's kind of like a woman today that would say, you know, I've got to have the hugest wedding ring just to show everybody. You know what I mean? Or like the guy that has to have a boat. That's like, it's like a status symbol. That's what they turned the worship of God into. Now, they love the feasts, uh, verse 6. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues. Uh, you know, at the, if you were sitting on the right hand or the left hand of the, of the person that did the feast, you'd get the special treatment. The best seats in the synagogues, you know where they were? They were in the front row, but they were facing the people. So you'd have the teacher, you know, sitting down teaching the Torah, and then you'd have people that were super important in the VIP section facing towards the congregation so everybody would get to look at them, you know. Now, these guys had lost sight of what it means to be like the teachers of the people, to be God's like representatives, you know, and they turned it into, uh, you know, they're like being like wannabe celebrities rather than uh, wanting to be faithful. Uh, you know, I must decrease so he can increase sort of people, you know, and there's a real temptation for that, especially in just if you have a huge church today, uh, you know, like it was in the news, you know, big time, you know, the guy from Hillsong, right? You guys all heard about him and he gets to this mega status and Hillsong, New York has a VIP section and they defend it by saying, you know, people like Justin Bieber just aren't going to sit with just your average people. And it's like, huh, doesn't seem like he really understands Jesus very much at all now, does he? Uh, and we'll get into that even a little further, but uh, it's a real temptation and all that, you know, to forget who you are. Yeah. And they had... So, verse 8 says, But you don't be called by rabbi, for one is your teacher. Now, these next three things where Jesus is teaching, um, they all kind of get to the same point. First of all, he says, you don't be called rabbi. So he's speaking to people that are kind of going to be discipling others. He's speaking to his disciples. Don't be called rabbi. Now, he's not saying that somebody can't legitimately have the title of rabbi. But what he's getting at is that people shouldn't be seeking these things shouldn't be your motive as a rabbi to be called rabbi. And like, if, if you like are in it to be called a rabbi, that's a problem, right? And what he says is in verse eight, one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. So he's saying to his disciples, you guys have a brother and sister relationship. And I just, Jesus wants everybody in the body of Christ to think of themselves as that way, as brothers and sisters, right? doesn't matter if it's the pastor, the, the deacons, whoever, everybody's a brother and sister. That's what he's getting at. And he goes on to just, you know, build upon it. Now he talks, you know, verse 9 is more from the disciples' standpoint, where he says, Do not call anyone on earth your father. 
Okay, so that doesn't mean that you leave here and you don't ever call him Isaiah anymore, or dad. You, you're like, I only call him Isaiah because Jesus said, don't call anybody father. That's, that's not what that means. What he's getting at is do not venerate man. Some of the disciples in this day called their rabbis father. And what Jesus is saying is you need to see yourself in a brother-sister relationship with somebody that's discipling you or you're discipling somebody. He's talking about venerating people. You know, even as a pastor, this is something I've experienced a handful of times, is where people will come to me and say, will you pray for my daughter? Will you do this? And, and I don't mind praying for people. I like to pray for people. But there are some people where they, I just know that they think that my prayer is going to get answered because, and theirs isn't, you know, because I'm the pastor. And so, Pastors don't have any better connection with the Lord than anybody else. They really don't. I have no special like cell phone number to God that he didn't give to you. you know? And all of us are brothers and sisters. That's how we should all view ourselves. That's what he's getting at here. When he says, don't call anybody father. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a weird thing because uh, it's exactly what the Roman Catholic Church does, you know. And they venerate man. They, they call man these titles like most holy, reverent, you know, highly exalted. And they, they venerate man and they put saints on pedestals. And it's just fascinating to me because Jesus plain as day says, do not do that right here. So I don't understand that. Some of the stuff you hear in church is sick, you know, like most noble, righteous father, you know, <laughs> reverend, reverend. I've seen that one on a letter that was addressed to me once in the mail. I remember the first time I got a letter in the mail to Reverend Adam Tyler. And I was like, <laughs> I, didn't even, I had to look it up. First of all, what does Reverend mean? That stuff's silly. You hear this silly, sick stuff in the body of Christ. Another one that you really hear a lot today is Apostle, this person. Oh, this is Apostle Sylvia. You know, she's pastoring the church down the street. Or you hear this is prophet, you know, whoever. And they're using these titles of apostle and prophet. And another one that's even, that even, puts a wall between you and me is if I go and I get my MDiv and then I make sure on all my business cards it says Pastor Adam Tyler MDiv or PhD. Like, you know, these things separate you from people, you know, in a sense. It's like, oh, that's Dr. Tyler up there, you know? I mean, just like, I, if, I, I, this is just my own personal opinion. You could take it, do what you want with it, but it doesn't seem right to want to put barriers up between people when Jesus said we all should see ourselves as brother and sister, right? I'm always a little bit leery of a pastor that wants to be called doctor. And it's like, well, you're putting yourself up here, you know, some way or another. <clears throat> Don't be called teachers, verse 10, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Now, he's obviously saying, you know, people can be teachers in the body of Christ. It says in... Uh, you know, Ephesians that God gave the apostles, he gave teachers, he gave pastors and things like that. Again, he's just saying, Jesus is the great teacher. You know, when you're here at church on a Sunday, the only difference between you and me is I'm just the guy standing here. God called me to do this and just deliver his word. But he's ultimately the one that wrote this word and he, he's teaching us through his word. And that's what he's getting at. So the Pharisees sought to be great in the eyes of man, privileges, positions, perks, titles, parking spots, this parking spot is reserved for the head Pharisee. Jesus is seeking disciples, 
not people living an outward show of religion. Last point, they are not on the path of greatness. But he, verse 11, who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be the servant. Don't try to use your titles and your position and your perks to set yourself above people somehow. Be the person that gets down there under everybody and serves, right? That's what he's getting at. The Pharisees, and the way the, really the way our world works, is, is a lot, you know, a lot of the world is measured, you know, you measure the greatness of a leader by how many people serve him or her. But it's backwards in the kingdom of God. What makes you great is how many people you serve. What does it mean to be a servant? It means willingly, willfully making yourself available to meet the needs of others, expecting nothing in return. Once you start expecting something in return, you're no longer a servant anymore. You're a worker. You're expecting a wage. You're not giving a gift of grace. You're not giving yourself freely. You're saying, I'll do this if you do this. You're not a servant anymore in this context. You're a worker, right? And so what Jesus says makes somebody great in the kingdom of God is when they willingly, willfully give their life to the service of others, of everybody around them, of their neighbors. They love their neighbor as themselves, right? That's what makes a person great in the kingdom of God. Not outward appearances, but service. Being a disciple of Jesus is not about status, symbols, perks, privileges, and positions. It's all about feet washing, serving. Freely attending to the needs of others. This is kind of an aside, but how important this is in a marriage. If you are not married and you're thinking about getting married, as a pastor, if I was going to do your premarital counseling, I would, this is what I would really try to get more than anything. You know, like, sure, it's helpful to think about who's going to, you know, wash the dishes, who's going to budget, you know, who's going to do all that stuff. But can you be a servant? Can you serve this other person freely even when they give you nothing in return? Or even when they give you a bad time in return? I think of poor Aaron, you know, like, Oh my goodness, you know, she's a servant, you know, and I try to serve her and her and I, you know, it's, it's, this is the biggest thing in our marriage always. Maybe it's yours too. You're, you're here, you're married today. You say this, I get it. This is tough. Think about in your relationship with your kids. Think about kids and your relationship with your parents, you know. You want to be a good Christian kid? Serve in your family, you know, serve your family. Do things. Don't have to be asked to do things all the time, you know? You say, well, I do a whole lot. After you're asked all the time and bribed, you know? That's not being a servant. That's not being great in the kingdom, you know? Being great is looking around your house and seeing how you can help mom and dad and grandma and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and things like that. It's looking around and finding things to do and going and do them, you know? And not expecting anything in return, you know? The second you come up and say, see, look what I did, you've blown it. You know, and you ask the Lord to forgive you. Stuff's tough. Trust me. You're talking to an only child. I was spoiled. It's been the toughest thing in my life. But it's the greatest. It's the greatest place. It's the biggest place of freedom and blessing in the Christian life and being freed from expecting anything. In other words, 
what we've learned in this passage, that being a true follower of Jesus is not having a cool cross necklace, a marked up Bible, a Toby Mac t-shirt, a tattoo of some Hebrew word on your forearm, but being a servant to your church family and to your neighborhood and your community. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 12, the Pharisees were exalting themselves. They were making sure everybody knew how high and mighty they were. And he says, if you want to live a life like that, making sure everybody hears you all the time, you're going to be humbled, you know. But if you live a life of where you purposefully and willfully take yourself down to be a servant to others, then there's a time coming when you're going to be lifted. And that's what he's getting at there. That would have been really encouraging to those fishermen that tax collector, that zealot, those people that were following Jesus that were not spiritually elite, they were not powerful, they were not people of influence, that would have been very encouraging to them. I want to conclude by going back to verse 4 for a second. Please look at it. Verse 4 says, They bind heavy burdens hard to bear. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. This is legalistic religion. These Pharisees said there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. 365 of them were negative. 248 were positive. Does not include the thousands of rules that they came up with. This was a heavy, oppressive thing. Jesus comes and he says, love God and love your neighbor. These Pharisees, by the time of Jesus, this had become a heartless, cold, and arrogant brand of righteousness. There are at least 10 flaws in this thought process, and I'm going to read them to you. With legalistic religion, rule following, being concerned purely about what's going on on the outside and not tending to the inside, um, you always have to invent new rules for new situations. Okay, eventually you're not dependent on what God says, you're dependent on what man says. It reduces a person's ability to discern for themselves. People that grew up in legalistic churches, they don't really know how to hear the voice of the Lord for themselves with his word. They don't, they don't really understand it. They need somebody to tell them what to do, right? It creates a judgmental spirit when you're a legalist because you think, well, I do these things so well. How come you're not refraining from watching R-rated movies like I do, you know, and they get judgmental. Pharisees can uh, confuse their personal preferences with divine law. Uh, Pharisees were completely inconsistent course, in a man-made system, it would be that way. It creates a false standard of righteousness. I'm right with God because I do all these things, not because of the grace shown at the cross. It was strictly external, and the worst problem with all this is it's rejected by Christ. This is not how we're to live. The essence of legalism is trusting in a religious activity rather than in a person. I want to give you an illustration that's very simple. If you go to a soda machine and you want a Dr. Pepper, you don't want a Dr. Pepper. Nobody drinks that. Aaron drinks that. You want a slice. Remember that one? You want a tab? <laughs> you go to your soda machine and you put in the money and you push the button and the thing comes out. And it doesn't care what's going on in your heart, does it? And that's how people treat God. That's how a legalist treats God. If I go and I put in the money and I push the button, God will bless me. If I go to church, God will bless me. If I read the Bible, God will bless me. If I put money in the box, God will bless me. And they have a mechanical relationship with God. That's what a legalist does. They have soda machine religion.
imagine if you had to press thousands of buttons to get the soda out, and now you're thinking about what it would be like to be under this heavy burden of being a part of this religion. You'd be crushed. You'd be like Matthew and say, to heck with that, I'm going to be a tax collector. I don't even care about this. Will you turn to Matthew chapter 11 for a second? We're going to move to the Lord's table after this. The reason I'm doing this is just because when we go to the Lord's table today, I want to be really grateful. I want, to, I want us to think about something that really is going to make us really grateful to think about. Matthew 11 at verse 27. You remember John the Baptist sent disciples to Jesus. Are you really the one or should we find somebody else? That's that whole setting. Then down at verse 27, Jesus answered to them, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Believing in Jesus, trusting in him with your life gives you rest in your soul. His burden is light. This brings up a good question. How's your walk with Jesus today? And I'm not saying that to be condemning to anybody. Just honestly, though, how's your walk with Jesus? Is it light? Do you feel like you're resting in your soul? Is your soul troubled today? Some of you, I can see the trouble on your face, you know? Do you know Jesus as gentle and lowly? Is the burden lighter or are you stressed out about it? Jesus says, I'll give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Those are medicinal words. Aren't they? It's not to say life doesn't have its challenges, but under Jesus' burden, under his wing, even though there are challenges in life, your inner man, your inner woman, can be at rest. It's something he'll give to you. You just call out to him. I need that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is rest. Believe and trust in him. You believe and you trust in Jesus Christ, and he'll give you rest. This burns light. As we go to the Lord's table here today, I'll have Kenny come up and Corey. As we go to the table today, I just want you to think about what Jesus said here, that my burden is easy, my yoke is light. He wants to give you rest for your soul today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rest that's in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that really you did the heavy lifting. You're the one, Lord, that bore the burden, the true burden. Jesus, you are the one that took it upon yourself doing the things that, that needed to be done to save us. You've taken the heavy burden. Father, I pray today for those that are here, those of us 
that really need this soul rest, really need to trust ourselves into your care. Lord, those of us today that just need a reminder of who we are, that we're in you, Pray, Father, send your spirit to work among us now to minister, Lord, to the needy hearts. We need the medicine to our souls, Lord, that only you can provide. We trust you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.